Hello and welcome. I'm Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Mail podcast. On this episode, Luke and I are joined by author Will Kostakis. Will's first novel, Loathing Lola, was released when he was just 19, and his second, The First Third, won the 2014 Gold Inky Award. It was also shortlisted for the Children's Book Council of Australia, Book of the Year, and Australian Prime Minister's Literary Awards. The Sidekicks is his third novel for young adults and American debut. In the media section of the podcast, Luke chats to us about Viking, and we engage in some robust thrashing of Justice League. Mild, polite thrashing, of course. For the topic, we chat about branching out into fantasy and Will's journey into speculative fiction. We hope you enjoy the discussion, and as always, if you have any questions or comments, don't hesitate in contacting me on my email, mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. We are coming to you from the Brunswick Street Bookstore, and I am joined by my co-host, Luke Manley. Luke, how's it going? I'm back. I got dragged back on. You're back? So what's happening Where's to Ian he? these days? Is he, is he just... He's is he doing just my gone? thing. He's doing my thing. You just disappear for like three months. I mean, somebody <laughs> has to, right? Goodness, all these irresponsible co-hosts. What can I say? Now, here's Sorry, a question. We've got you here. You're always here. It's fine. Yeah, I am. I mean, I am. That's a good <laughs> thing. Um, talking about good or bad things, let's bad things? introduce our guest. Oh. <laughs> I don't think that was a good introduction. <laughs> like, that's a segue. That was like, Come I on. feel like you're not giving me your best work. Listen, listen. <laughs> it'll, it'll have to do, Will. All right. How are you going? Will Kasakas, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Fantastic. Let's go with a good thing, shall okay. we? Okay. Talking about also things that may be bad. I. What is your worst experience, Luke? When you go to, say you buy something, right? You go up to the counter and you give the attendant your money. Oh. What's the worst thing that's ever happened? We talk to people still. Oh, goodness. You don't use, oh, you're one of those people I that only use those <laughs> <laughs> the machines. I occasionally right. go to like these little, you know, third world stores, which are still people there. Goodness. But <laughs> all right. So what? What's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? Because I have a pretty good example. Um, yeah, I can't recall any bad experiences. Really? In the last twenty years of my life. Lucky man. <laughs> Lucky man. <laughs> They're usually pretty good there. Will, what about you? Bad experiences, yeah. like with someone serving. Okay, yes, I've got one. Okay. Um, so, mum decided about a couple of years ago that um, she couldn't go through life only reading my books. So, she needed someone yes. to buy... Well, she needed to read other books, but she didn't want to go to the I bookstore guess. herself and buy it. Sure. So, oh, she, yeah, sent me, she sent me to Dimmick's <laughs> mm-hmm. to buy a copy of Fifty Shades of Grey. Right. And it was the first time I was ever noticed by a bookseller. Oh, and I'm what a great like, coincidence. Ah, and they're like, oh, what are you reading? And they just looked at it and I'm just looking at it. I'm just like, uh, and I thought it would be smart to say it's for my mum. Mm. But then I said it and I realized, mm. no, that just no. made it worse. Yeah. And so we're both just staring at each other and she smiles and she gives me like the author discount. She's like, goodbye. I'm like, ah. And I just <laughs> ran out of this. Have you so ever been to that book store? Like no longer exists. Okay. I mean. Just a mix. In yeah. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> terrible. That's, yeah. a, that's a good line. Yeah. Um, no, I've, I've had one of those things where it's not so much awkward for me as it is I don't think they think it's awkward. But everyone knows it's awkward kind of yeah. moments, you know. Um, 
and it's not even their fault. It's just they don't realize it. It's that it's that weird um, trepidation, that frozen, you know, icy grip of death that clutches at your heart when you give someone your card or your money, uh, and they, and they it? hold it, oh. and they continue talking to you. So now you're in this weird place where it's like, well, I I need to get somewhere, but you've got my money, and they haven't given me my book. So it's sort of you know, this awkward back and forth and like, could you just process this, please? The other really awkward one is when they say, hi, how are you? And you say, I'm well, thanks. How are you? And then they freeze because, you know, <laughs> in customer service training, you're told to say, hi, how are you? Yes. But then you don't know what to say yeah, when someone when initiates nice. the conversation and you're just like, Ugh. yeah. I feel like they've been pretty new for to not have any answer for that. Like, yeah. The it's robot, because like, well. usually it's the robotic good. <laughs> good. That's it. You know, they're like, beep, yeah. good, good, beep, move on. Beep. <laughs> yeah. No, I, it, the, I think the best thing about human Luke, Mr. Self-Serve I'm Checkout not, man. I'm not human. It's fine. Yeah. Um, is that, that you build up relationships, right? And that mm-hmm. is the really cool thing. Like, you keep going to the store um, and you build that up. That's a lot better. You could never do that with a machine, Luke. I can too. <laughs> Well, I go to the same machine every time. Does that count? Well, give it time. Maybe maybe it'll it recognize my card, I'm sure. <laughs> it's probably got it saved in there. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Well, <laughs> just walk up there. And this is like a sadder version of her. It's, it's, it's quite tragic. Anyway, so let's, let's move on to a media section, shall mm-hmm. we? And chat about what we're watching. Let's start with yeah. you. Well, speaking well. of tragic, I saw Justice League. Oh, hi. <laughs> um, mostly because oh, I, I got no. tickets last minute to the premiere, so I went. Um, cool. And it was really fascinating. I went with a friend who is a massive DC nut. Sure. And, you know, he liked it. Like, I was watching it going, yeah, I can see when the director changes. And, you know, you can see when the tone just mm. shifts. Because, you know, it goes from sort of Snyder phoning it in to then, Whedon. you know, yeah. Whedon just doing like, this looks like the first season of Buffy. like, yeah. And just oh, really... I don't know any of this. So, the Whedon took over directing. Yeah, did. So... Oh, um, I watch half of that now. Oh, oh. it's like really... <laughs> you can't... It's mm. like potent Whedon yeah. thrown into the wrong movie. Like, there's no <laughs> cohesion. And you can tell when they chop and change. And it's like... The reshoots were super cheaply done. Oh, dear. So, oh. like, some of... It really? goes from, like, really, like expensive-ish to then, like, the cheapest CGI you've ever seen in your life. Like, there's this conversation with Batman and Aquaman, and they're talking. Then Aquaman sort of jumps away, but before he cuts away, he cuts away to this, like, really cheap, like, footage of Aquaman jumping backwards, and it just looks like... It looks like something I made in a student film in high school. Like, it's fascinating. But the best is you have to stay for just... um, Amy Adams is like poor Amy Adams is trapped in this really bad series, yeah. and you can tell like her eyes, just, she's just crying on yeah. the inside, and she has this real this final sort of monologue at the end that sure. just makes no sense at all, and <laughs> you're hearing it like, did someone else dub over this? Because half of the time it doesn't sound like her. Is and Amy Adams, Wonder Woman? No, no, no. No, that's, she um, that's Lewis. Gal Gadot. Uh, She's Lois Lane. So, and she's like, Ah. and it's such a bad sort of, and it's like, it's her writing this article and the film infers that she's got her mojo back and this is going to be her next Pulitzer Prize winner. (laughs) And you're listening to it going, no, No, it's it's not. not. No. But it's like Henry Cavill forgot what the Superman voice was and you have the whole like CGI upper lip thing. Like it's, it's a total mess, but it, 
isn't as bad as it should have been because what they took Justice League Part One and Part Two and scrapped yeah. that plan. And then, like, you know, it serves them right for trusting Snyder with a two-part film when he couldn't even produce I a know. decent one-part film. Like, this is the guy who did Sucker Punch. Like, <laughs> yeah. let's let's take the reins off him. Um, Listen, he gets so, better with age. <clears throat> um, so that's... So Justice League went from part one, part two, then it was cut down to just Justice League. And then they scrapped his, like, seven-hour cut. Yeah. And... He got he tapped Joss Whedon in to do some reshoots and some rewriting. So Whedon is who's credited with the script, and uh, Snyder gotcha. is still credited as the director. But considering what a mess it is, and like Ben Affleck's just sulking around the set, just like I don't want to be here. I don't. I mean, be he here. doesn't. Like he does right? does not want yeah. to be there. Like ever since that "Hello Darkness, My Old Friend" viral <laughs> clip, like <laughs> he's just yeah. Say what you will about Batman vs Superman, he was, he was trying. He in was Batman the best part of the Superman. film. Like, it's just, that character's just non-existent in nah. this film. Like, doesn't want to be there. Um, and I never sort of realised how great it was to have um, a female directing Wonder Woman. Yeah. Until I saw this yeah. film. Because it was just male gaze mm. to the extreme. Yeah. Like, sure, they fetishise the male bodies as well. But, like, there's a scene that is inexplicably shot from Woman. behind yeah. Wonder Woman's ass. Yeah. Like... At no point, like she's just talking with Batman. At no point is that like relevant. Yeah, and yeah. it's like you can just see them, like you know, oh, I'm going to storyboard this scene, but like yeah. it's really frightening and upsetting. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there going, oh my god, they've just undone everything. Yeah, yeah, was, and yeah, it. There was um, no reason to ruin it. It. There's yeah. no reason to try and ruin the scene. You know, it's it's one of those films that I really wished like Snyder was just cut for good all the way back but I think as a cultural relic it's great because you have a Snyder scene and then there's this really awkward cutaway to where Superman is like now a little leaner because it's reshoots and he hasn't been doing like the because he's been bulking out yeah and it's just like a random cutaway joke and then it cuts back to everyone else looking like they're a year younger and then it cuts back to like a cutaway joke (laughs) where everyone looks slightly older and then it cuts back like it is fascinating but yeah no it's the DCEU <laughs> deserves to just be over now. Yeah, I <sighs> see. This is funny. I never got into DC, but I, I was I wasn't I was never really a Marvel fan at the start. But mm. I sort of got into their movies a little bit, and mm. so I've been like, okay, the ups and downs. It's fine. I understand. It's a Hollywood make and all that, but um, some of them are good. But then I never got into DC, and I never decided to start watching so I just get to watch the fans sort of go it's getting worse it's getting worse I'm like this is, a, this is great comedy <laughs> You're for the guy you, it's just watching like, the have you read the petition dying. the petition which one oh, the petition it's joyous so I've tweeted it but it's um the petitions who want them to release the Zack Snyder cut which oh, no. doesn't exist but they're like and it's this like it's sort of reasonable for like three words and then the sentences become 40 just, lines long and then right. it goes to caps lock it's and it's just sadness it is Watching a breakdown, it, you do a you see it. It's yeah. you're watching it, and it's just like, oh my god, this is this is more dramatic than the film was. Yeah. Like there were there were more <laughs> ups more and downs. It was you had to step back from it because it, it was like full this is getting journey. so intense. <laughs> yeah, and look, it it's just so bad. All right, <laughs> let's move on from the train wreck, which is DC, uh, to anything else that you've been watching, Will. Um, that you want to. Dive in or pray. I don't remember or... life before Justice League. I, I mean, it does leave an impression, I guess. Was there some sort of sense of meaning to life before it? 
No, I was no. just aimlessly wandering, and now it's just more aimless wandering. The abyss, the abyss has gotten larger. <laughs> yeah, I know. Fair enough. It's, well, look, it's aimless I've just finished thing. catching up, so I binged. So I've been watching it as it's been going, but I rewatched The Good Place. Ah, Have yes. you been watching that on yeah, Netflix? Yeah, yeah. Sensational show. Anyone who spoils the twist in the first season is the worst. And anyone who says, "Oh, I saw that twist coming in the second episode," yeah, yeah. sit down. Do you want a medal? Like, <laughs> keep it to yourself. Yeah. It's all good. Um, really sensational show, and yeah, it's. I pitch it as lost, but a comedy. Yeah, and yeah, there you <laughs> go. No, I've, I've, yeah, like I said, I've only heard good things about that, and I really should just get into it, but. Be trying to be good with my TV watching. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke, let's move on to you. What have you been watching? I feel like I'm going to make this the the main segment of the podcast because I've got sure. a good one. Is that a diagram? There is a diagram on my paper. Oh so my for goodness. all the people who are listening, you can't see this, but it's great. And it's, it's <laughs> I can see it. It's not you great. You can see it, but that's <laughs> fine. See, that's, Let him believe. That's, that's how the movie I watched seemed. So... Yeah, I'll get that, to it. I get, that's um, a, so that. I watched Viking, which was a movie done in Russia. It was one of their biggest costing productions ever. Fourteen million, I About, think it was. Yeah, fourteen million US dollars, which is significant in their yeah. terms. It's probably their sixth most expensive movie ever, sixth or fifth, something like that. Um, and it was supposed to be based on a historical character of a prince who saved Russia from paganism and turned everyone orthodox and made life better, generally speaking, for people, apparently. Um, However, they decided to do the Hollywood thing and turn it into their own drama. But I'm... Even though they spent all that money, I'm not sure if they went further than getting a writer in just to brainstorm. (laughs) So, wow. their protagonist, for instance... So, I'm you're holding sure. the script right I'm now. I'm holding <laughs> this is the entire script. It's that, one that, page. That, that's that's that detailed. primary school mind map <laughs> is the script. <laughs> this is the script. It's right. fantastic. Right, I see the plan. Now, yeah. the produ- don't get me wrong. The production looked good. It yeah. had great effects. It had but how good, good can 14 million costumes. look? I know. I was just about to say. In Russia. You can get all this stuff really easy. Yeah, it's minimum wage, The right? economy is completely different. It's not about minimum wages. The economy is completely different. Yeah. Um, and also, just they pay people a lot less, right? Like CGI, I imagine. Yeah, but everything costs less as well. Yeah. So the whole cost of the cost of life is a lot yeah. lower there. So you can get away with a fourteen a million dollar thing. film is something like a two hundred million in America. Okay. So I mean, it's yeah, the, the costs are completely different. Um, so everything looks fantastic. Animations look good. The characters look good. The costumes are fantastic. They built an entire fort for it, um, and most of the pieces, most of the set pieces, were real. Um, but at some stage they just had a writer come in for like five minutes and draw on a right well, whiteboard. They were like, "Okay, what do you think a good protagonist would be?" And they're like, "Okay, well, what are you trying to do? History? Okay, let's make it true to life protagonist." Um, they say, "Yeah, well, he also has some sort of issues." Like, "Okay, let's add some drugs, maybe." Um, <laughs> we know okay. we want people to like him. Okay, sure. well, let's make him a nice guy. And then they're like, "Yeah, but." Something about his historical period. Okay, we'll make him conflicted nice guy. Okay. Um, that's fine. Um, and at some time he was just brainstorming, okay, let's. what about a weak guy? Make him devout or evil or, or lustful or something. And they're like, yes. They took the entire... <laughs> All of it. Bloody Give us, Give us everything. 
and they put everything into this guy. So you don't even know, you, you can't, you don't get a good feel for where he really is. So anyways, it was called Viking. Yeah. And there was no Viking main okay. character. But it's just singular were, Viking? It, yeah, it's Viking. It's called Viking. However, there were, there, was a, there were a bunch of Vikings who kind of stood on the side for the entire movie. Do you think it started off as a movie about Vikings and then slowly, like... What they were trying to the do... The Russian Orthodox people were like, no, you must do this guy. Is that a Russian accent? <laughs> it's I don't close. Know. It's, it's good. good. It's good. I like this. You know, and then slowly the movie evolved into this propaganda no, this, this thing. This and they were stuck, they were stuck just with the <laughs> yeah, title yeah. and a completely different film. <laughs> I like that. No, um, like how else do you get the funding? Yeah, the concept behind Viking, first of all, was to get the people to buy into it because you gotcha. know, everybody Vikings likes Vikings sell. now at the moment. Yeah. But right. anyways, um, so it was called Viking, uh-huh. and there was like half a ship full of Vikings that kind of like sat on the side while these guys were all fighting. Sweet. They just like sat eating food and saying, "You haven't paid us enough." That was pretty much all they did, <laughs> except when they managed to. Um, pay a little bit like a huge fortune of earrings and necklaces and stuff for the one berserker guy um but yeah they just like hung out on the side so the concept of calling it viking was uh, as i said partially to make money but also because this uh prince vladislav i think it was i can't remember Mm. i'm probably missing i'm probably misremembering the exact name um had some kind of connection with vikings for a while like he went (laughs) off to trade or fight with them and so is he back. the titular viking sort of he he they taught him they t- the montage of is how he? to fight what you do is you <laughs> slip you slip in the mud and then when they come to you you hit him with rock with rock <laughs> great with the, with the vikings as well. like, like the danish accent Oh, I'm not gonna, <laughs> no. You can't give the no. Russian accent to the Vikings, no. dude. Don't do that. Goodness. So, so basically, the Vikings. Sorry, that was the culturally yeah. insensitive part of this conversation. Yeah, don't, okay. don't do that. Well, I'm, right I've got this, this heritage. Right out. It yeah. hurts me the most. I got the Viking heritage, so. All right. Goodness. Well, if I couldn't get sadder after the Justice League talk, let's move on to the topic section, uh. shall we? And segue immediately. Um, so, curiously, I. Uh, it's it's been an interesting discussion this year, and we've gone through a multitude of topics. Mm-hmm. Um, YA being one of the one of the yeah. big things that we've been talking about this year, um, and I'm interested to hear about your journey in that. But I think one of the more interesting things for me personally um, was finding out about your specfic story that yeah. was in the Love Oz YA mm-hmm. uh, collection. Now that's I think both Luke and I and Ian, who's not here and who never will come back, apparently. <laughs> Um, it was interesting because we were all specfic writers and we we're all, yep. you know, interested in that topic. And that's basically where I'm coming from here. Okay. It's, I'm more interested in hearing, you know, what your journey with specfic is, yep. right? Like, what was the impulse to write it? Was it just one of those things where you just felt like it fits or, yeah, take it away? The freedom of basically getting to write whatever I wanted. Because mm. obviously I have that freedom when I'm writing novels, but... When you're writing a novel, you've got to make sure you tick a lot of boxes. It's got to be, say, appropriate for schools. It's got to be sort of on brand. It's got to be, you know, um, it's got to be what people expect from you. And there's, if I sat there and suddenly went super specific in a novel, then that would be quite jarring for the people who'd read my three contemporary novels prior. Yeah. And so when they came up with uh, 
the premise for the anthology and they're like, you can write about whatever really you want. And I'm like, oh, actually I've had this. And it was an idea that was percolating yeah. that I was considering to write instead of the sidekicks. And I was like, oh, but it's about this this young psychic growing up. But I didn't quite have it sort of put together. And it was only about ten to 15,000 words. And sure. I knew I couldn't expand it out without mm-hmm. adding too many characters. Yeah. And so when the anthology came up, they're like, oh, what would you like to write? And I'm like, oh, actually, would it be cool if I did something a little different? And they said yes. And so I sort of pursued this and I got to sort of dip my toe in it. Look, as a as a kid, I loved writing spec fic. Yeah. You know, I was a huge fan of highbrow spec fic, like charmed. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. But yeah, so things like that. I wanted to sort of pay tribute to that sure. sort of show that yeah. I sort of grew up with. And also sort of look at the contemporary themes that I usually look at, but give it a spec fic twist. I don't think... I don't see it as me writing spec fic. Sure. I see it as me taking sort of my contemporary voice and mm. applying that to spec fic. Sure. So, mm. um, not to not to try to sound highbrow or anything like that. No. I just yeah. don't think I am equipped to write really great spec fic. Sure. I think I, I stayed sort of in my wheelhouse and right. yeah. just sort of dabbled on the edges, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, in the in a in the recent years we've seen a lot of um, you know from all forms of writing, even like the literary um, space. The most famous one, I guess, recently would be Kazuo Ishiguro um, <laughs> writing in specfic and the Buried Giant to various degrees of success, depending on who you ask. Um, but it's one of those things that I find interesting because. When you see a specific writer write for many years in the genre, you come to expect very specific things mm. about the genre, right? The genre expectations. Um, but I, I find it even more exciting when someone like, you know, Ishiguro mm-hmm. comes in, writes something. And yes, a lot of people say that, like, he didn't get it. You know, he didn't get what makes specific. But for me, seeing him bring all the stuff that he does in his usual yeah. novels into the genre is the exciting part. But that was me. him extending the genre. Like, there's no static exactly. genre. He yeah. brought his perspective to Absolutely. the genre. So that's, you know... Is yeah. that a worry for you, though? Like, do you, do you feel like, you know, because you're extending into this this yeah. other genre, and maybe with further work as mm-hmm. well, um, What what's that? Is that a worry? Or are you just like, no, I'm just going to... No, it's it's the opposite. So I, uh, yeah. when I released The Sidekick, sure. I made an effort to read as much as possible. And it got to the point where I was reading so much sort of Australian contemporary. Mm-hmm. I was starting to be like, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen by page 50. I yeah, know exactly yeah. what's going to happen by page 100. Where you can see, you know, say a literary or a contemporary novel has just the same sort of conventions as you would expect Absolutely. from genre. And it was just yeah. like, oh this is not exciting for me and I didn't want to write something I wasn't excited about. And I'd just come off my two last major works were what if my grandmother died and remember that time my best friend died. So I was like, right, I need to write something a little lighter. (laughs) And I wanted to try my hand at romance, but I didn't want it to just be a, oh, will they, won't they? Like Mm. I wanted to actually make it as difficult as possible for them to get together and try to tell a love story that I hadn't sort of seen before. And so... For those of you that don't know the premise, uh, the story is called I Can See the Ending. And it's about a boy with burgeoning psychic powers. He can't really control it yet. Uh, On his last day of work, he asks a co-worker out. She says yes. They kiss. And he then flashes forward and sees their divorce. And the whole story is how on earth 
would he make that relationship work yeah. knowing that knowing in say outcome. 40 years time yeah. it's all going to go to hell so I really wanted to explore that and in that yeah. sense it's still a story about love it's still a story about family it's still a story about all the things I love writing about mm. but it was set in this sort of backdrop of some people have psychic powers yeah like I said where you got the title from mm. Mm. Yeah. From all those books you were reading? <laughs> oh, oh no, no, that's not so me being on, that's, not, no, that's not me being oh, catty. Trust me, I'm, I'm far less subtle 50, when I'm being I can see catty. Where this is going. No, um, well, it's more like how do you appreciate something when you know what's coming? Yeah. How do you appreciate something when you know the ending? Yeah. And yeah. and plus, I I'm always looking for new ways to explore. Sort of, particularly like you can tell I'm the product of a you know broken home quote unquote and so like I really love writing about relationships between yeah. mothers and sons and so I was like okay look my mum knows I've done something wrong before I've told her but what if she knew what I'd done before I'd even done it yeah. and so that was a nice little twist mm. on my super creepy yeah. Greek family it's so <laughs> yeah it's it's one of those things that I think Luke you you and I have seen in a lot of writers that I find it curious that switch that intersection of genres can either be um, really successful or mm-hmm. jarring i mean it, it was with ishiguro as well and for yeah. you what do you think you you didn't like it as much as i did and that kind of thing why do you think that that I is a thing see i don't mind the intersection of genres i'm not mm. sure that i appreciated ishiguro's one because it didn't it didn't seem to gel quite as well yeah. for me uh, i'd read his previous work and i thought that he did a great job on those but it just didn't didn't click the same yeah. way. Um, I'm glad that he's writing other things. I'm yeah. good, glad for him, but it's not something I'm necessarily going to read. But um, I did really enjoy the way that a couple of other writers have done it, such as Neil Gaiman. Mm. Neil Gaiman often blends yes. um, yeah. genres mm. and styles, and he shamelessly admits to it. He's like, look, yeah. I, I don't want to be under one one mm. umbrella I want to do what I want so I mean I think he does quite a good job with his writing that's the joy of young adults where it's the only classification that isn't really a genre it's yeah. an <laughs> audience suggestion it isn't yeah. even really the audience because there's statistics that say that a lot of our readers are adults Yeah. Mm. so um, it's really wonderful because you can still be in the same section of a bookstore and write completely different stories yes and, and that always confused me when I was in that section of the bookstore and the library thinking that's yeah. not on the same shelf Does as this that, is it? Yeah. <laughs> it, and yeah, going off that point, do you think that is confusing? Do you think that if a reader would say, read one of your previous works, right? And then move into this. Do you think they would still get the vibe? It's a will. I think if they novel? looked at the front and saw one had a dragon, they'd be like, okay, this yeah. one has a dragon. <laughs> like, um, But the thing is, there are still things that I like to keep constant. Like sure. there are the expectations of what a Will Kostakis book will be. Yeah. Um, probably over-edited. <laughs> um, <laughs> like you won't find a typo. And if you do, like a clump of hair will fall out yeah. in my head. Um, Challenge accepted. Um, <laughs> please don't. Please don't. <laughs> um, Pedant. <laughs> so, no, I'm still scarred from my first book. You open it up and it said, Will Kostakis is a 19... And the publisher spelt 19 wrong. <laughs> front page. Front page. I didn't think to look over the very, very first page. They spelt it 19 and just Ooh. scarred ever since. Yeah. Um, 
so look, there are the things that they expect from me. There's, it's going to deal with family. It's going to deal with, um, you know, sometimes Greekness, sometimes, you know, like friendships, fractured friendships, like there's going to be a lot of banter. Um, some of it appropriate, some of it not. Um, and I think that's what people come, I hope that's what people come to a Wilkes Starkus book for. And, but the thing is, I don't want to tell them the same story over and over again, because Mm -hmm. as much as, you know, I loved reading books that were familiar growing up, I also hated it when I was reading the same book over and Mm. over again. So, and I'm sort of staying away. My next full novel is not contemporary. So the first draft is done and it is, and it's even different to, I can see the ending. So that was sort of me dipping the toe. Now I'm fully submerged and I'm like, oh my God, I forgot my (laughs) scuba gear and I'm dying. Um, but let's but have it's, fun before we die. But it's <laughs> it's challenging me, and I'm be- I think I'm becoming a better writer because of it. So yeah. hopefully, when I come back to writing contemporary, it'll be something different again. Sure. And it's just it's just keeping it exciting for me. You mentioned freedom mm-hmm. right at the start of that, and that that's interesting because I think a lot of people, you know, start off reading specfic when they're young, yeah. Um, and either they grow out of it or that's always stayed with them and that has a special place in mm-hmm. their heart. But the freedom there is usually the thing that attracts a lot of young people because they want to adventure somewhere or they want to go somewhere that you haven't been. Yeah. And what do you think the elements of speculative fiction, like in your work currently or, you know, where it's going, mm-hmm. what do you think that those freedoms are for you as a writer? Um, do you think it's setting? Do you think it's... it's Well, it's flavor plot something yeah. can actually happen like yeah. with contemporary books you can't have like 50 things happening every two or three pages because yeah. it's just ridiculous mm. and it's just and i really like in my contemporary work to emulate the rhythms of life mm. where you need to have 10 pages where nothing happens like yeah. you need that for it to feel like life yeah. and um especially with say my latest full novel was The Sidekicks and that was about the immediate aftermath of a death. Mm. And so I really, I didn't want to, I reduced scene changes as much as possible because I wanted to emulate the rhythms of grief and I wanted to really stay in those awkward moments and build on them. You know, that's something that I was concerned with with that. But, you know, if I was writing a book about grief, you know, a really choppy, really fast-paced novel about grief where everything keeps happening, like... No, like yeah. grief sort of like you're sort of working on like it's just constantly jet lagged, mm. I yeah. think is what grief is. And it's mm. just that constant state of mourning where that's less happening is better or at least truer. You're becalmed. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So and mm. being free from also my personal experience. So a lot of my personal experience informs my contemporary work. And obviously when I write spec fic and things like that, my personal experience still goes in there. Yeah. But I'm forced to rely on something else to do the heavy lifting for me, which yeah. I think is really good because it will set me up for the years when I have run out of life stories to tell. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. it That's good that you um, um, well looking at it from a different perspective and you're saying that you're trying to make sure it's not just a story that everyone's already read before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I know that that's one thing when I was picking up books... Um, at that age, anyways, mm. it's not really at that age. I still kind of read some of those, mm. but um, where I like I say some of those, like <laughs> some of those, those, <laughs> those books, those children's those books. books. <laughs> but it's, it, the thing is, I'd, I'd read like one or yeah. two or three, and they would become like 
the greats. Yeah. No matter whether they were super fantastic or not. And then it's all about the time that you read it. And yeah. after you read those, you try and read another one that just tried to you know emulate the thing. Yep. I couldn't. I couldn't enjoy it. I wanted something new and interesting, and like not expecting. You wanted to move yeah, on. I wanted mm. to not necessarily move on, but just have more to yeah. read because I don't want to read. Lord of the Rings, number three, yeah. number four, number five, number yeah. six, number seven. And yeah. I don't. I want a fresh story. And the and thing people don't, the publishers don't like fresh stories. And the thing, when you're a writer, though, I remember writing, and I was like, "Oh my god, have I written this sentence before?" Because I'm like, <laughs> that sentence came really easily to me. Yeah. Have I written that before? You and you go yourself. back, yeah. and you're just like, "Oh, Control F." <laughs> yeah. like your other documents, like, is this actually out. in another book? Absolutely. Um, and then and Greg so, realized he was actually being bad after all. <laughs> And, and you're like, so wait, everyone does that. <laughs> yeah. So changing genre sort of keeps me from falling into that trap. And it forces yeah. me to actually learn how to write different stories. Because now I'm writing fight mm. sequences. Now I'm writing, you know, it's a different skill set entirely. Yeah. Like I can write a really quiet scene where nothing happens. Give me a scene where there's lots of movement. And it's the scariest thing for me yeah. to write. But movement I can't avoid space that. space is terrifying, man. I can't, because you, yeah. you can't describe the movement because that sounds really clunky, yep. but you can't not describe mm-hmm. the movement because then there's no sense of what's happening on the page. Absolutely. So you've got to find a way to infer <laughs> a lot of it. And that's a different skill set. And yeah. it's one I haven't really worked on. So this is great because I'm learning new things. Yeah. And every time I write a book, I want it to challenge me. Like with the first third, it was I wanted to write something more personal. And then afterwards, someone came up to me going, I really loved your book. It sounded just like, you know, you write on Twitter. And I took it as a compliment, but then I'm like, wait, no, I'm just writing in my own voice. Yeah, it's me. So my next book with the sidekicks, I wrote Split Perspective, three very different voices. And to push that, yourself. Yeah, yeah, I pushed myself. And I yeah. I now think I'm good at writing voice. Yeah. Not amazing, but I think I'm getting there and my skills are improving. So grasp of it, yeah. that's yeah. the thing. I want to get better with each book and I want to be able to look back, you know, two books ago and cringe and go, okay, that's not how I write that now. But seeing <laughs> that progression good. is so interesting yeah. though, I think. And and I think as a reader, it's it's incredibly interesting to see a writer constantly change and evolve and you feel like you're with the, uh, you know, you're mm-hmm. on that train yeah. pretty much and you see them change. There's something um you mentioned that that's really exciting. And uh, it, there are lots of things I mentioned that were exciting. Yeah, I know, man. I'm just, <laughs> if you saw my face, I'm just smiling because I'm like, I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> Not because you liked what you were saying. It was just yeah. the stonewall. It's just you. Yeah. It's just you, Will. Yeah, That's the smiling face just, stonewall. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's my constant resting face. No. The, it's um, actually asleep. <laughs> <laughs> You're dulling the excitement. Oh, Luke. I'm sorry. Oh. Go ahead. So the, you mentioned like moving on, right? Yeah. And changing style. Mm-hmm. Do you think that creatively yeah that's crazy and that's like oh that's you know i'm learning so much do you ever like switch you know maybe when you like go get a coffee or something and then you're thinking oh yeah but you know maybe the market won't come with me is that ever the thought in your mind of like going to a publisher and to being be like fair, my market's not really with me now <laughs> like <laughs> like i'm not gonna get like thousands of angry emails like let's like it's isn't that a good thing no. <laughs> I mean, I like eating and yeah. I like paying my yeah. rent. Um, but no, uh, look, it's 
I'm never going to release a book that I'm not proud of. I'm sure. never going to release a book that I know is not a great experience. And I'm never going to release a book that doesn't feel like a book that I have written. I don't want to write a facsimile of someone else. I don't want to write the book that's like touted as the next so-and-so and where that's always gotcha. in the marketing. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. I want this to feel like a Will Kostakis book so the people who have liked me in the past don't feel betrayed. Yeah. But I also want to do something different, you know, broaden the church a little bit get other mm. people in reading my work. Just just <laughs> different enough. The thing is, I've been contained. Like, yeah. I grew up reading Terry yeah. Pratchett. Like, yeah. that's, that's that's what I'm passionate yeah. about. So, Being you know, I'd like to dabble in other things. So, yeah. The, you know, following on from that, yeah. that's sort of my perspective in terms of like, okay, now we've established, you know, this is how his audience works. But what about your publisher? Like, as far as you can talk about it, um, was that an easy conversation of being like, I'm doing well, this thing? that's the thing. Different. I was, this was a different publisher. So the short sure. story was with HarperCollins, yeah. who don't publish me. Yep. And um, they were incredibly supportive of whatever I wanted to do. And they liked the pitch and they really liked yeah. the first draft. Like I gave them the first drafts quite early. So I knew yep. if they didn't like it, I could just You'd whip know. up like, a, <laughs> oh, you know, Wilkes Starkus writes about grief <laughs> again. Uh, <laughs> for those of you that can't see this, I'm doing jazz hands yeah. as I say grief. Um so, but they were really supportive and they really enjoyed sure. it and they really pushed me and they made sure it had really great textual integrity and made sure everything worked because you don't want to get half-baked spec fic where the rules you introduce on page one are different to the rules that appear, you know, on page 70 or 80, mm, you know, yeah. like you don't want to JK Rowling and Deathly Hallows it. Mm. Um, so I was really supported by that and now... Look, I don't know. I finished the first draft of the new book, yeah. but we haven't sold it yet. I'm still sort of in the... I want to make it as great as I can make sure. it before someone sees it. Um, mm -hmm. But this is also my first book going through an agent. Yeah. And so she's been very supportive and she she signed me up on the strength of The Sidekicks, which was my most contemporary, yeah. most griefy book, <laughs> right? And... This is my follow-up to that. Yeah. And she's like totally on board and yep. it is like... On for the ride. You put the two texts side by side and they are... You can see the thematic links. Mm. You can see where one sort of jumps on to the other. Like even yeah. though my books are all disconnected, you can see where the kernel of an idea in one book inspired the next book and how a kernel yeah. in that book inspired the next book. You can see the kernel in one book that inspired this book. Yeah. But looking at them side by side, it's comparing like a really artsy film to you know something that's a bit more bombastic mm. and a bit more fantastical yeah well we're mm. coming to the end of the episode and in case i've used uh the word excited more than once in this podcast it's because i legitimately am because it's one of those things that really gets me going in the morning when i you know discover more spec fic yeah. um it's a genre that i'm super passionate about and that we all are um on the podcast um is and that a plug for my book? Is, no, is, <laughs> is that a plug for all of us? Um, <laughs> well, it's a plug for Will Kostakis, Luke. That's oh, what it is. I'm sorry. Um, is, we have we have a yes. yes that's a right. On the ghost. The we're planning to do some exciting things uh, next year, and we mm -hmm. hope that you join us uh, for that along the ride. 
um, that have to do with Specfic, and we can't wait to talk about them. But for now, let's thank our guests. Thank you, Will, so much for coming on the yeah. podcast. Thank come you back so much sometime. for having me. Come yeah, like, come don't back. say that. I'll be back. Like, yeah, every week. <laughs> like, we'll right. like Will, you're in Melbourne again. <laughs> yeah, I swear, I'm here for a school visit. No. I definitely didn't fly down yeah. today. Yeah, I haven't been living, you know, in the back of the bookstore and just like <laughs> waiting, waiting, yeah. checking your watch. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll be excited to have you back. For sure. So tell us yeah. where we can find you on your website, social uh, media. You can Google me, Will Kostakis, K-O-S-T-A-K-I-S. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm that's my handle on Twitter. That's my handle on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. And yeah. Beautiful. Luke, where can people find you? What you thought, coming up? And you thought you had edgy titles for your books. Oh, well, goodness. you can find me at The Soul Shard. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I feel like not enough time of this podcast is dedicated to unpacking what the hell just happened. Yes. It's been all the podcast. Yes. So it's okay. That's the charm. The way did I just like, man? Did I just make it really clear that I haven't listened all the way through to the end of a podcast? Oh before? my goodness. <laughs> miss, oh my goodness. My, oh yeah. yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, so on Twitter at the Soul Shard or yep. at thesoulshard.com. Beautiful. Well, you can find The Morning Bell, themorningbell.com.au. All our archives are there. We had a sort of a tie-in double episode previously, one with game designer John Harper talking about interactive fiction, and then the next one with Ben McKenzie um, talking about uh, interactive fiction in a live environment, things like um, escape rooms and stuff like that and how you push narrative through... Uh, interactive theater almost. Um, and that was super exciting and it was a really fun two episodes. So we really hope you enjoy those. Uh, and hopefully we'll have more to come. As for the Twitter, you can find us at the underscore morning bell. Myself, I don't do anything on my website, thepenofjoel.com or my Twitter at thepenofjoel. So but look just, it up anyways. So just follow Will. You know, it's just, it's just the better option. You get more value for money there. Um, even though both are free. Uh, <laughs> um, but that's it. You can uh, find us. We're going to be doing more things that we're going to announce on the next episode. So don't go away yet, ladies and gentlemen. We have one more episode before we close shop for the year. It's getting too hot. It's getting real hot. Yeah, we got to take it's the summer It's not even break. summer yet, and it's like 30 degrees. Australian spring, man. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>